Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity. And in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? Will a team's overall record matter in the MVP race? Just how good are the pieces around Russ in OKC? Would Greg Popovich win 50 games coaching this year's Bulls? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Again, today, as always, we have Coach Dave Dufour on the show to do our weekly podcast. So, uh, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Awkward interaction to start. Hello. Yes. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, just talked to you last night. Um, just like I pretty much talked to you every day. So, yeah, still still about doing about the same. All right. Well, it's always great to you know talk to you and see you, even though the people who are listening just can't see us. Uh, maybe one day we'll post a little bit on the YouTube uh, channel where they can watch uh, watch our glorious talking heads. Yeah, especially when we do it in the morning and and we're like wearing glasses and our eyes are red and you know all of these things. So yes, and our hair is uh, unkempt, or at least mine is. <clears throat> yeah, you have to have hair to. Have it be unkempt. Right. So. Well, your beard is a little messy this morning. It is. It is. It's still a little like bedhead. On, on my <laughs> yes. Uh, well, well, let's get into a little NBA to start with, as we should. Um, and we, I thought we'd start with the MVP race and where that stands and your thoughts. Uh, who do you have uh, to start with the NBA, with the MVP? Well, you know, I, I'm sticking with James Harden. I think that your record does matter. And while what Russ is doing is incredible, um, James Harden is carrying the Rockets to, you know, they're right behind San Antonio for the two seed. They're, they're a solid three seed. And that matters. Um, he, he's leading the league in assists and he is, what, fourth in scoring. Um, and, and this is not to diminish Russell Westbrook, but I just think that your record, and as the MVP voting has shown historically, your seeding does matter. Um, and Russ is doing some incredible stuff. I mean, he's still averaging a triple-double, despite uh, the other night where he had a zero-assist, five-turnover game and was ejected in Memphis. Um, he's still, you know, he's still having an incredible season. Uh, I, just, I just tend to lean toward Harden. Did you watch uh, any of that Memphis game? I know we were covering the other game last night, but did you get a chance to see what was going on and what got up his butt so much? Um, so there was a shot clock violation that was called incorrectly. So no, I, not a shot clock violation. Yeah, I think he was right about it. And, and you know, I wonder if maybe Memphis had been been physical with him a little bit and he wasn't getting the calls that, that he normally does. Um, but he got two technicals back to back, which I always hate because it's like, okay, come on. It's, it's sort of like if you get a parking ticket 
and then 10 minutes later you get a second parking ticket. How about you give him a chance to cool down before you throw that second tee unless he does something that's worth getting thrown out. And what I saw was, you know, he, he said the call was BS and he did the, the arm wave and he was walking away when he got the second tee. And I, I just hate to see that because no one paid money to see those referees. Right. Well, so, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to have to fire it up there and watch it myself just to get a real get my mind's eye on it, or maybe while we're talking, I could find it. But either way, um, you know, it's like it's a game in December. Uh, the referees blew a call. Like, you know, who cares? Now that said, it, it kind of felt like this game was, you know, they weren't going to be able to beat the Memphis anyway, right? Well, I don't think they were going to, but at the same time, you know, they are so Oklahoma City and Memphis are neck and neck right now in the standings. And Oklahoma City, like I understand, like these games do they do matter. I know it it feels like they don't because the playoffs are so far away, but the difference between being a 6 seed and a 7 seed could be decided right now. Um and Oklahoma City and Memphis are probably in that 6-7 range. Um, I think Memphis has a little bit more potential to get the fifth seed than Oklahoma City does, but th- this game it matters uh, in the head-to-head. I think that they're gonna they're gonna be pretty close in the standings. So, you know, I understand. And, and as a matter of fact, like to give Russ credit, he's kind of doing what we want players to do, where they care about winning every single game. Yeah. Russell Westbrook's not taking any rest nights. Russell Westbrook is gonna play. His 36 minutes tonight. And, and, you know, this is sort of, you know, this is good rust to me. Like, I, I, I know, like, bad rust is the wild turnovers and, and the, you know, the forced shots and, and things like that. But what good rust is the competitiveness and the fire. And, and so, you know, I, I don't want him to tone that back. Now, let's, again, I think that the referee should have just, after you know, give him the first tee if you feel like he's out of line. But, yeah, I allow a cooling off period, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know I'm, I'm, and absolutely, I'm looking at the stats right now to compare, like, I guess, the, what, who are the main, the usual suspects here are going to be Westbrook, Harden, and Durant, I imagine, uh, all in the West. Nobody, I, I mean, I guess you, you got to throw Durant, uh, LeBron in there as well, uh, and just because he's always in there, but there's that fatigue. But let's just, you know, looking at these guys, um, you know, Russell Westbrook leads in virtually every stat and every advanced stat as well. I know that Harden has taken the lead on the assist level. Uh, actually, Russ and James, and James Harden have now are equal in the turnovers per game um, uh, issue. And although Harden plays a couple more minutes now, so it's actually Harden, I would suspect, has a less uh, lower turnover percentage or lower turnover rate. Um, now, if you, one thing that's interesting, though, is you look at the win shares, and win shares per 48, which mm-hmm. is supposedly supposed to, like, that's supposed to mitigate your teammates a little bit, right? Am I, am I correct in assessing that? Yeah, it is. You know, and he's got the lowest one kind of by far. You know, his win share per 48 is, is, uh, is 217 compared to 274 for Harden and 288 for Durant. Um, again, it, even though it's supposed to factor out, like, how good your teammates are or not, there's got to be some sort of thing there was involved. But that's still, that's the one interesting thing that kind of popped my eye. But other than that, I know that the uh, Russ fans are going to certainly argue that, like, that should give it to him. But it sounds like you want to go for, for team wins is going to decide it. Well, you know, you bring up win shares. And in order to get win shares, you have to have wins. You know, I mean... That is that is a factor in the equation. So, are, are you a monk in <laughs> yeah, another life? Yeah. That sounds much like, like so that's a cone. In order yeah. to have win shares, you must have wins. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that the wins do matter. And if, now, again, now this is where it is early. Um, Russ, Russ is five or six games, I guess, oh, excuse me, not the Russ, the Thunder <laughs> are four games behind the Rockets in the, in the standings. But but those are huge four games. I mean, it's, it's hard to, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to envision the Rockets falling back or Oklahoma City going on a tear and catching the Rockets. You know, I, I would guess that what we have right here where Golden State is one, San Antonio two, then followed by Houston, L.A., Utah, OKC, and Memphis, I think that top seven is going to be pretty static except for maybe, you know, five through seven. Um, I think that that's basically what we're going to have when the playoffs roll around. The eighth seed is going to be a wild card. Um, and I wouldn't like the Pelicans are now two games out of the eighth seed. If that tells you anything, given how they started, um, they're only two games out. So I, I think that I, I, I don't know. I just I tend to lean toward team wins being important in the MVP race, which I know. I don't know. Maybe we could talk about how the MVP award is not actually the most valuable player, but it's the best player on a good team or one of the best teams. Yeah, which that, is what it is. This is what also this kind of frustrates me too as well because it's just it's a very vague notion of what it's supposed to be, and we've seen crimes in the past of just guys who should have gotten it. Uh, although again, what is it? We don't know what it is, and it's never really been defined. There could there very well just could be a statistic we could come up with that combines all this stuff and somehow picks it. So you don't have to deal with uh, with uh, any kind of emotional notion to it. Although I guess that's what sports is about. But uh, yeah, I, I would tend to, to side with the, the wins kind of thing. I just feel like, you know, you're splitting hairs a bit with, with the Russ versus Harden seasons, right? These are, these are both historically fantastic years. And um, at some point, it's like you got to put a value on something. And I suppose I would say, yeah, wins. Now, again, do the Rockets have that much better of a team than the Thunder? Um, you know, I, I keep advocating for the Thunder's players. I feel like they have, um, you know, good players. And they, more, more importantly, what I like is that they have, they built it well, right? Like these pieces as well as, they're, they're probably playing at almost close to maximum potential, would you say? Um, yeah, they are. But that's problematic to me. Um, this is why I'm still an advocate of, and, 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 you know, people jump on me for this. But I think Oklahoma City would be better well-served to trade Russ and tank a little bit um, that way because they actually have some good pieces around him, but they need more than just Russ. And right now that's all they've got. Like Oladipo is, is a nice player. He's having a really great season because of Russ. Um, Adams is having a, a, another nice season after, after really showing up during the playoffs last year. Enes uh, Cantor is arguably the sixth man of the year. If you were giving out the award right now, he's probably the winner. Um, he's been he's been really good. I mean, he's averaging 18 points a game off the bench. Oh wow! Uh, I don't think I even realized that. How yeah. Many, how many rebounds is he getting? Any? Oh, I don't. I I don't know. Um, but they they have some nice pieces, and, and this isn't an anti-Russ thing. This is just Russ's timeline. It, it, like he's 27. Um, He's about to sign a huge contract, and they're going to be handcuffed with this team uh, for the next four years. And it's just not good enough. They're going to be a seven or eight seed, or six or seven or eight seed, and other teams are going to get better. And so it's just it's tricky. Um, they're going to re- really have to nail the later 
later first and their second round draft picks every year and hope that they can turn themselves into San Antonio slightly north. You know, I, I just I just think it's tough for this team as currently constructed because Adams is getting that huge extension. Oladipo is going to be extended. This is going to be they're going to be locked into this con, uh, to this roster. And, um, you know, I, I think you could get a huge haul uh, from a team like Boston for, for Russell Westbrook. And I think you could really relaunch a you could have a quick rebuild and have the potential for a young star that you can lock in at a cheaper contract and go forward from there. I, I just think that's I don't know. I mean, and maybe that's the that's the the. NBA new NBA media way of looking at things. Well, if you can't win a championship, you ought to tank, and, and and that's not necessarily the right way to go either. So I don't know. It's tricky. Well, we interrupt this program to insert an editorial retraction, oh, no. which is Ennis Kander is averaging thirteen point four points a game, hmm. uh, and per thirty six. If you want to make it that, it's actually you know twenty three point seven points a game per thirty six. But where did I get the eighteen? I don't know. Maybe you're thinking about voting or something. Maybe I maybe I was I don't know, but um, you <laughs> I know really thirteen and eighteen a game. Thirteen and six is no slouch in twenty minutes a game. Um, you know he's not doing anything else pretty much across the board. But uh, no, I, I think but the point is made that you know there there are good pieces. They have the productive big men off the bench. I like Stephen Adams. He can really do a lot of things out there, and he's tough. I mean he, those defensive plays he made down the stretch in the game that I broke down, um, you know, were as vital as anything that the Russ did down the stretch, uh, without question. And um, so, and, and I would, and I argued, you know, unfortunately for me, uh, that you know, Russ could have gone off and detonated like he did, and they would have lost because yeah. Adams saved three layups, uh, literally layups that were just going to go in, and he blocked them out of nowhere. So, uh, anyway, the point being that um, uh, they have a good team around them. So yeah, so, they, so their maximum potential is forty nine wins. You know, maybe like 50, barely, maybe uh, a second round exit, probably. And they'll probably do that. And that's there's no shame in that. Right. That's that's what you want. You want to be able to play to your potential. But you're right. The way that this is playing out and the way that Russ plays, you know, uh, it, it's interesting to see if like what would they do to keep him and then get to the title chance? They have to get another Durant. Is that what's the, that's the solution? Well, let's say that they would have cap space, which I don't have their cap sheet in front of me right now. Um, I guess I should have pulled it up, but I didn't know we would get to this point. Um, if let's say they get, they they have cap space. What big marquee landscape changing free agent is going to sign with Oklahoma City? I mean, it is the, it is the Russell Westbrook show. Um, there's been a lot of murmurs that Durant left because he didn't want to play with Westbrook. Why would a guy like Blake Griffin, who I, I mean, Blake Griffin is on the way down, so I don't know that OKC would want to sign him to a max deal during the offseason. And I don't know why he would turn down the five-year max from uh, the Clippers. But let's say Blake Griffin, because he comes up all the time. You know, he went to college there. Why would he sign in Oklahoma City? I, I can't come up with the you know, with the way that would happen. I mean, maybe you could get Paul Millsap because he's going to be 31, but Toronto is going to go after him. And Toronto is a, is a good team that's up at the top of their conference. And, and, you know, like I think Paul Millsap goes there or goes to Boston rather than go into OKC. So I just think that you have to develop from within. You have to hopefully nail the draft. And, and unfortunately the later you get in the first round, 
the less likely you are to get a player that's going to contribute. I mean, this is just we the the, the facts are in on that. Right. Like we know. So I, I don't know, man. It's 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 a tricky situation. Yeah, they're in purgatory pretty much, right? Where they're good and they can you know continue to sort of be good, and then when Russ starts to break down or gets old, then they're going to be you know problematic. So I but what you're saying to me is. It's almost like a style thing and a rust thing where um, he's not a magnet and then the way they run their offense. Because, you know, let's just say Russ is playing in a system like, you know, Golden State. Well, I would think that people would still want to go there. Hence, that's why Ergo Ipso Facto, you know, that's why Kevin Durant went. Because he saw that he knew that they already had the, the guy, the man. But the way they played, it would be easier for him to be able to blend in and, and play that style. And obviously, it's worked out really well for him. So... Um, so it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The way that they've, you know, the way that they play, the way that Russ plays, and the way they've allowed Russ or whoever. I mean, that's the question is, is, is Russ dictating the style? You know, is Donovan, and this is not Donovan's offense that we saw at Florida, what they're running. Yeah, well, you know, I said this when Donovan got hired before the, the Durant's last season. And, you know, I was like, okay, so if you're hiring a coach, with the with the thought that he's going to keep Durant in town, Donovan is not the right guy. Like Donovan is not some offensive dynamo. He's a very good recruiter, and this is where like we could go into this. I mean, oftentimes a lot of college coaches, they're they're not necessarily great coaches, but they're great recruiters. Okay. So they're good at selling their program, and and usually if you have the fastest horses, you're going to win the race. Like that's that's how basketball works. Like if you have good athletes and stuff like that. Um, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna win more games. And so I, I was never impressed with Billy Donovan's offense in Florida, but this is nothing like even what he ran there. So, but the NBA and college are so co- completely different. I mean, there's so much more pick and roll in the NBA. And to be fair to Russ, when you've got a guy that is as elite in isolation and in pick and roll as he is, I would run that 40% of the time too. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see a little movement beforehand, and we've every once in a while they uncork something where Russ brings the ball up to the wing, passes it, and then comes around something, and it's a great shot. It's almost the point where I should do a breakdown on just those possessions. It will take me a while to dig them out to get like twelve really good juicy ones, but uh, it might be worth it just to sort of uh, you know prove a point there, uh, which is also the same point I make with the, like the lake the uh, the Knicks triangle. Like when they run the triangle, they get really good shots, and that is a video I'm going to do. And, and Unless someone else steals it from me, but I doubt it. Um, and, and again, this actually circles around to something I, I thought just kind of grabbed me about, you know, you're talking about college coaches coming to the NBA. And I'm looking at the standings. And we mentioned, you know, we were talking earlier about the Wizards, uh, you know, making a big push. Well, what would you think, what would Chicago say if, like, the Knicks break their playoff absence streak before the Bulls do? Like, the Bulls don't make the playoffs again, like, can Hoiberg, is there any way, I don't think Hoiberg even, you know, won't even finish, you know, he'll, he won't, the, the exit interviews won't be done before he's done, he's gone. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think Hoiberg is a good coach at all. Um, I think that he, what he did in college, again, this is, this is, I mean, we've seen this a lot in college football. You get a guy like Chip Kelly, he's a good recruiter and he runs a high, a high paced offense and, and, and it works in college. And then you try to do it in the NFL, and you're you're playing against the best athletes that play this sport. Well, this is the NBA. It's the same way. So, and and then also you're as a coach, you're not 
putting the team together. So um, you would think that when when Gar Foreman and John Paxson hired Hoiberg, they would say, well, we're hiring you because we've been tired of our stagnant offense, which is actually a myth. Um, we're, we're tired of how our offense was, and we really want to open things up, and we want a more entertaining product and all this stuff. So here's Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, <laughs> Taj Gibson. I, like, I just I, – I feel like Hoiberg – I don't think he's a good coach, but I also think he's gotten kind of a raw deal as far as roster construction goes. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he was good at uh, at Iowa State. Um, is Iowa State right? I don't yep. know. I don't follow college basketball, um, but uh, I, I follow it enough. Like when these guys get hired, I'll go look at game tape because I want to see what they did to see what they're going to bring with them. And there really just wasn't much that that would work in the NBA that he did before. I mean. Um, pace and space is, is great in theory, but if you don't have if you don't have the guys to run it, you know Rajon Rondo's not not giving you much pace or space. Right, he's going to pound the ball until it runs out of air, and then he's going to you know make a he's going to force a pass with like four seconds left on the shot clock and hope that a guy can throw up a prayer and hit it. So, but I, I I'm with you. I think that I think Hoiberg is probably done. If they if they miss the playoffs, he's definitely done. Well, I mean, but then, then the next question is is because you're you're right. Like, what it, we I don't think we are surprised at what's going on the way they constructed this roster. You know, there might have been some optimists out there, but for the most part, I think we all felt like eh, this is going to be 500 or whatever. And 500, you know, probably doesn't make the playoffs necessarily. I mean, right now the eighth seed is 500. It's actually the seventh, <laughs> the sixth, seventh, and eighth are 500. The fifth is just above. So. 500 probably gets you in just about, um, and that and last year they didn't make it, and they were just a barely above that. So, um, but I, I think it's disastrous what they've you know they were on the precipice. They felt like they had something going here to at least really compete for the Cavaliers, and it, you know if they don't make the playoffs two years in a row, that's you know last year was already the most disastrous result you could get, and then again this year, but again, but that also reflects on Paxson and Foreman. So. You know, have you ever seen a notion where they fire the GM? I, yeah, you could fire the GMs and then and then keep the coach, I guess, right? Yeah, but then you're a lame duck coach because the, the new front office is always going to want to bring in their guy. Yeah. Have we ever uh, seen the GM and the coach get fired at the same time? Yeah, we have. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But, um, you know, teams seem to favor front office stability over coaching staff stability. Um, even though – the, the coaching, like, particularly in this instance, you know, the, the coach has nothing to do with the players that are there. Now, there have been failures that you can place solely on, on Hoiberg. I mean, is the coaching staff in charge of player development? I think so. And they have not developed anyone. I mean, Bobby Portis came into the league, and he's just – he's a fantastic athlete, and, you know, he, he seems to have range. But we've seen zero development. If anything, we, he actually looks way worse now because – We've seen him play and show all the warts that haven't gone away. So, um, you know, he, he's kind of – there have been player development failures and uh, things like that. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I would love I would love to see this come around because I never want to see anyone get fired and I want every team to be good. But the, the reality is um, that can't happen. So, I, I just – I don't know. I think Chicago could use some new voices all the way around. 
Okay. You know, and like Tony Snell is starting in Milwaukee almost out of necessity, but, you know, he's not doing terribly. That was my first instinct to say, okay, well, how did he do after getting out of uh, Chicago? You know, he's not laying it up. He's not doing great. So that, that's not the best indication either. I think it's a, it's a tough situation. And if I were Horberg, I just would be, be frustrated. Like they, they brought him in to do something and then they ended up stacking the roster in a way that he couldn't do what he would have wanted to do. Uh, but you're right. A coach needs to deal with what he's got. And uh, for whatever reason, yeah. And there just could be a way of the way you communicate. It doesn't really work at this level as it does in college. It's a lot more control in college. I was just watching the, you know, the, the UCLA-Oregon uh, game a little bit. And you can just kind of see when you watch Altman, he's like, he's got his hands on his players and he's, you know, right in their ear. And they're like, you know, robots going, yes, sir, yes, no, whatever. And it's not how it works in the pros. And, um, you know, as a result, we got, a, you know, an, an average product, 500. And, uh, and it just is weird because, you know, the expectations were a lot higher. And that's the other issue where, uh, you know, expectations in the NBA, I guess, are a lot different than college as well. Um, and, uh, and, and there we are. So it's, it's an interesting let, thing. Let me ask you this. Would Greg Popovich win 50 games with this Bulls team as constructed? Um. Now, Greg Popovich is the best coach in NBA history. Yeah. But would he win 50 games with this roster? You know, probably not. Although you can argue that, you know, he's got the equivalent of Rondo, like in Parker now starting. Um, and he's got the equivalent of Kawhi and, you know, and Jimmy Butler. And, you know, you know what? Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. so somehow the, the, the Spurs, they're averaging the fewest number of threes per game but they're hitting them at a high rate and they don't have anyone who jumps out as like a specialist right so they don't have a, a joe ingles um well, what patty mills isn't that guy patty mills i mean he, he's a 40 percent three-point shooter but i don't think he's a specialist i actually think i mean he's he's a good we can talk about patty mills i love that guy but i i think that pop would find a way to make this team win 50 games now again comparing anyone to greg popovich is like that's impossible so, but I think it would take Greg Popovich to get this team to to fifty games. You, you need someone who's that good with players, and and not even X's and O's. I mean, any look, any monkey can learn X's and O's and draw up plays and figure that out. But it's figuring that out with the personnel that you have, and then having the the intelligence and the humility to be able to move away from things that aren't working. And find things that will work. And that's what Pop does. Like, Pop doesn't have, like, people like to, they always like to point out the Spurs system. Well, the Spurs don't have a system. This is why they've been so good. What they do is they find guys that fit their culture and then they build their system to work with those guys. And, and it well, just. I guess. I mean, I would argue that to some degree because. You know, certainly over the last, and I did a breakdown where I, you know, I broke down their offense over the last over their five championship seasons and how much it changed. Okay. Um, but you know, over the last five years, they've had motion weak, motion strong, like you know. But but I think what your point is is, and that there are there are a lot of options out of that. In the same way, the triangle has a lot of options. And what I think what you're saying, I can, or at least what I hear you saying, is that 
they can pare down and get rid of like the options that they don't work that don't work so well for them and add the ones that do because I think that's the point. The system that they have is that flexible, right? right. It has it has uh, concepts and principles, but it's flexible enough to say as you go through the season, okay, this ain't working. Don't throw it there when we get the ball there. Just go it to this one or that. You know, give you two options instead of the three. I think that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, they don't pigeonhole. They're they're not they're not trying to take like David Lee. They don't have David Lee uh, freaking running uh, or spotting up in the corner, right? Like that's not his game, and he can't do it. But Pau Gasol can. So they have they've been making Pau Gasol shoot more threes, and and now Pau Gasol has been reticent to do that in in recent years. But if he wants to play for the Spurs, that's what he has to do. And so it's about finding these guys like finding their strengths. And then tailoring how you fit them into your offense and your defense. Let's not forget, David Lee, and David Lee is a perfect example of this because he's been the worst defender almost every single season he's been in the league. And not from lack of effort. Like he's just not good at defense. And this year, he's actually been pretty good. Um, we know he's a good facilitator on offense, but his defense has really surprised me. And it's because the Spurs employ a drop back scheme and they're not asking him to come out and blitz the the ball handler on a pick and roll and this this is good basketball for them and it's good for him so i I just think that in chicago i i I don't know i I don't want to give hoiberg a complete pass because of the personnel but i understand but at the same time you got it's your job you're getting paid millions of dollars to make this stuff work and it's just not working even though if the playoff started today they're the eighth seed Right. I mean, it's crazy. And by the way, like, and we were giving slander, I suppose, to the Spurs defense to some, to some degree, or how they were, you know, putting Kawhi on an island and attacking the other guys. But, you know, they're third overall in defensive rating. They're first in their, in their division, you know, 26 and 6. So, you know, uh, it, it, there is a level of nitpicking there. However, uh, what, they, what you need to look at as far as the Spurs go is the crucible, and maybe the Bulls too, is the crucible of the playoffs and of the title chances. That's what they want. That's what they want to be judged on, and that's what's going to happen. So, you know, that, that's the other issue we have here when we're looking at all these teams, and OKC included as well, is that, you know, okay, that's great if you want to play Phoenix, you know, and if you play, um, you know, Orlando. Like, oh, yeah, you know, okay, I get it. You're, th- those are the teams you're going to do that against. But who can do it against the tough teams when it's a playoff series and they're ready for you? And that's what we're kind of trying to judge a lot of these teams on. Um, you know what I mean? I think that that sometimes gets glossed over. Yeah, I mean, it's important to beat the bad teams. I think I think the sign of a, of a decent to good team is that you beat the bad teams. Oklahoma City's been doing that. Um, the, the Bulls have not. Uh, the Knicks have started to do that. Like I think the Knicks have actually turned a corner. Um, the Hawks have struggled to beat the bad teams, and, and so like that's one of those. To me, that's the easy eye test thing that you can do. Okay, are you know is Oklahoma City going to beat the Magic? If they played a seven game series, would Oklahoma City sweep the Magic? Probably. They might give up a a, a game. Um, are they going to do are they going to destroy the the Mavericks? Yes, probably. Like I look at that sort of thing. Um and then you you know, the beauty of this is now 30 games in the season, you can actually look, okay, are they are they winning 90% of their games against bad teams? Yeah. Okay, now the ones that they're losing, is it like second night of a back-to-back or you know what I mean? You can look at the schedule. And so, I don't think Oklahoma City is bad, and I actually thought they would be. I I was very wrong about them. I I thought they were going to be like in that 10-11 range 
and and miss the playoffs. But Russ has really carried them, and so this is an argument, you know, for Russ's MVP. So, um, but they're beating bad teams, and and that's important because over like what a little almost half the league is bad. So you've got to win those games. Like if you want to make the playoffs, that's that's what you got to do. Um, Golden State, like so, that's an issue for them, right? Is getting up for these bad teams. The Lakers blew them out by twenty. Now part of that might be they might have had a really high bar tab the night before. Yeah, you know it's taken it seriously. Um, but but if we're talking about nitpicking, uh, you know what? I'll call myself out. Golden State is twenty-eight and five. They beat the Raptors by like twelve the other night, and I walked away disappointed. Now, <laughs> right. you know, that's where we are, right? Like we we expect these really good teams to just blow everyone away. But it's not high school. These guys, these are the best players in the world. Right. But and, by, the, by the way, let me throw this out there. That first quarter of the Warriors-Raptors um, uh, game, I don't think I've ever seen an NBA team play better than that first quarter. Uh, they scored like what forty two points. Forty two. They held they held them to less than twenty, I think. Right, Something seventeen. And uh, I've never, I, I honestly, and especially because the Raptors were the number one offense, I think coming into that game too was, uh, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it was that was a demolition. Um, it, it's been a long time. I can't really remember the last time I've seen that. So, so there's those those inklings where okay, when they really want to do it, and they got a chip on their shoulder, uh, and and they want they want to sustain it, they can do it. Uh, and we've seen it, and that's what you got to be afraid of when you play them. Well, you know, uh, so we've been kind of critiquing coaches. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, how do you feel about the job Kerr is doing this season? Uh, wins and losses aside. You know, I think it's. I think he's been. You know, I, I think it's fine. I, I think he's good. I think he's managing a lot of different things, and um, I, I don't really have too much of an issue. I mean, I know there's some rotational stuff, um, and and probably Iguodala might be sort of reliving old glory. It's not there anymore. Um, so the only thing I could, I could look at is maybe the rotations, which. You know, again, that's always the hardest thing, right? You're spending all this time trying to figure out, well, okay, who do I play with whom? So, um, but for the most part, yeah. And like when they lost to the Cavaliers, uh, it was probably their first like playoff intensity atmosphere game with Kevin Durant, really. Um, you know, so it sounded like, you know, all right, they're going to probably have those issues where they kind of, you know, melt down a little bit down the stretch. And they have to learn, just like a young team has to learn how to do that. But, uh, overall, I think he's been he's been good. You know, uh, you know. I think I mean, the only thing I'd say yeah, is the lineup issue. What what is your what is your beef? Well, I so I don't have a beef. I I, I mean, I like Steve Kerr. I think he's a, a good coach, uh, possibly a great coach. Um, the the thing is, I think he's having a hard time getting these guys to stay engaged. They get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were up forty two seventeen, and I think they were only what were they up. 15 at the half or something like that. I mean, the game got really close after having a 25 point lead and for a team this good, that, that just shouldn't happen. Now this isn't the, the Raptors are a good basketball team, but they are a notch way below. They're they're 12 points less worse than the Warriors, right? At least, at least, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And so you, you gotta, you, you really want to see golden state close these games out in three quarters and then you know they can have their guys resting in the fourth um like that that worked really well for them last year um and the year before so i just think that he's got to figure out a way to keep them engaged in the game my idea and i don't know how you feel about this but i'm gonna ask you i would like to see him when they've got a big lead in the first quarter i would like to see him shake the rotation up a little bit and start the second quarter with like an all bench unit just send out the young guys 
let them let them fight and scrap a little bit. Um, just see what they can do while you've got the big lead. And then, because the one thing that that these guys do is when they are on the bench, they are they are rooting for their their teammates, especially the young guys, Ian Clark and Patrick McCaw and Kevon Looney. Like those guys, they are pulling hard for them from the bench. So, you know, maybe just from a like a spirit standpoint, get those guys in there with the big lead. Let them go out there and fight, and then you have you're kind of sending a message to your guys. Hey, look, if these guys who, you know, they they watch you they watch you play 36 minutes a night, if they can go out there and and maximize their time, well, why can't you? And and that's just maybe that's just me thinking about it from from a lower, um, I guess lower level of basketball. But that's something I would do, is just. Let's see if these guys are willing to go out there and fight. I mean, especially like Ian Clark, that guy's going to, he wants to get paid this summer. I hope. And he, and he should. So he's going to want out there, go out there and, and do his best and showcase. He's not going to loaf. Right. Um, you know, Kavon Looney wants more minutes, I'm assuming. And, and, you know, like let these guys have a chance. And it also, the, the other thing is it gets those guys more rest and more rest is not bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the idea, and, and for sure, uh, he, you know, we, he could do that. Uh, uh, I don't know if that helps them learn how to, like, step on the opponent's throat and finally just end it, but uh, it certainly, you know, uh, I, and I see your perspective, you know, from managing, you know, egos and people on the bench and whatever, that's also a part of it. It doesn't seem like that's an issue there, and everyone seems to know their role and why they're there, but, um, you know, yeah, without question, it's, it's something that Pop does very nicely, and he gets all those guys a lot of minutes, and so... If, you know, in the unlikely event you need them in a really important thing, well, they have experience to build from because they did get those minutes that they otherwise might not have. So, uh, you know, I'm in. It's a, it's a good idea. Um, yeah. You know. I, I just, I, you know, you've got to do something. And, and so, and the other thing is I think that Steph Curry needs the ball in his hands more. I think that, you know, like, I don't know. I haven't seen enough Steph Curry, Kevin Durant pick and roll this season. Yeah. And I really thought I would I would just get tired of seeing it because it would happen so often. And, and I just haven't seen it enough. So maybe that's something he's just kind of maybe that's something he's just kind of holding out for the playoffs or at least, you know, late season run. But uh, right. Yeah, well, the problem with hiding that is that then you, you, you haven't done it enough to be useful and to be uh, used to it. Uh, but, you know, Steph Curry's pick and rolls are way down this year. And, uh, and uh, as, a, as a little subtle hint to, uh, to a video that might be coming up soon, um, <laughs> that, that is a problem. I think that, yeah, when, when uh, the, the biggest issue I have with Curry, uh, the way he's playing, although they do is, what, he's averaging 24 and whatever and yeah. lightening it up. But um, is, is that when, you, when he's off ball, as much as he is now, you can rough him up. And the referees are really tolerating that, which I'm not going to argue. I'm like, that's fine. They're, that's the president. They're going to let him do it. But you can't rough him up when he has the ball like that. And that's the only way you can really protect him. And so um, if they want to you know, get that mitigated and fixed or whatever, then, yeah, he's going to need to be more on the ball uh, and, and ISOing and, and uh, getting pick and rolls on top. Yeah, and the Kevin Durant um, pick and roll with Curry is, should be and would be lethal. Throw Clay Thompson in there, too, like it's a little pin down into the pick, pick and roll. And, um, you know, that, that would really be something. And hopefully they start doing it. I gotta get, I'm going to break into their offense pretty quick and, uh, and do a big what they're running on them. Um, and we'll see what's going on in the more, you know, I'm going to chart it a little better. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely an absence there. And uh, speaking of absence, you know, we, we have an absence of somebody in the, uh, in the entertainment world recently that was very sad. Uh, did you, what are your thoughts about Carrie Fisher dying? 
Well, I mean, obviously, it's I mean, that's a it's a huge bummer. Um, and, you know, we we're bringing this up because we both just saw Rogue One a few weeks ago and we talked about it here on the podcast. And yeah, like it was unexpected. You, you know, she's 60 or she was 60. So, like, you don't expect this anymore, which is, I guess, says something about like where we are as a society. Like we're, we're living so long now that. 60 feels like it's still so young and it, and it really is i mean you know it, i'll be 60 in 25 years uh that feels like it's very close so yeah like really really sad um and then her mother passed away the next day i mean it, it really um and 2016 was kind of a rough year and i think next year is just going to be worse because we you know if you think about it tv and and media really kicked off like in the 50s 60s and so all of those people that are still around are getting up there and then you know the 70s and 80s was really when like big time movies started happening and we started following these people and you know so I think it's only going to get worse but yeah the the Carrie Fisher I mean I was I was in basketball practice and and I got out and came home and my wife told me she was like oh hey Carrie Fisher passed away I was like Right. I mean, yeah. it wasn't as, as much of a surprise in the way that I think the day before she'd had a, an issue on the plane and they didn't land and they whatever they did. Uh, but I don't think she ever recovered from whatever that was in the plane. Uh, and I, if, you're, if you're unaware of the relationship she had with her mom, it, it is almost poetic that her mom would die the next day, uh, almost in the sense that like, you know, I don't want to be cynical, but like the mothers never seem to be able to handle the, the, the spotlight off of her. And so right. I think Carrie Fisher would have probably written something really witty and funny and biting about how, you know, her mom would have, you know, died right, you know, after that, you know, as well, which is just macabre, but also fascinating. Uh, it, if you ever watched Postcards from the Edge, have you ever, did you ever see that movie with Meryl Streep? Yeah. So that's Carrie Fisher's pretty much her life story with Debbie Reynolds uh, as the uh, as the mom. And so it, it was tr a true story. Um, and so, you know, it's it just kind of crazy. But I like what you said about the notion of the 70s. The 70s became the blockbuster era, right, when Jaws and Star Wars and all these movies came out. So, yes, all those people are, are becoming that age now where all people like us who grew up with those idols, you know, are, are probably going to get up there pretty quick. Um, it is crazy, uh, although as the technology evolves, perhaps it doesn't matter. Well, let's hope. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm all about being able to download myself into the matrix. Like, you know, let, let me, I'll, let me, I'll take a cyborg body. Just keep the brain, yeah, brain pumping, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm all about that. Uh, yeah. Like, and, and well, you know, just to touch on Carrie Fisher again, like obviously star Wars is huge and, and everyone knows her as princess Leia, but there, there, there's like a few articles out there with a bunch of different things. Like she was just one of the most witty and just incredibly like funny people. The roast that she did of George Lucas, which is now, you know, probably everyone's seen it is just hilarious. She has me dying. Um, yeah, it's, it's super sad. It's such a bummer. Yeah, it really, yeah, it is. And, uh, it, you know, yeah, it's, she's princess Leia. I mean, it's, uh, it's a, uh, it's an icon and it's weird. It just, it is weird to sort of, you know, process that. Although we already started to go through it a little bit with like Michael Jackson passing away was a big one. But then, you know, and then George Michael passed away. That, you know, it, yeah. it's just really bizarre. They all kind of come in threes. So I guess it was George Michael, Carrie Fisher. I guess we'll count Debbie Reynolds, Debbie right? Reynolds. Yeah, you know, I guess. Uh, and then there's some comedian died who apparently was big. I didn't really recognize his name, but um, no, you didn't hear about that. Uh, you know, when you start seeing all those RAPs on, um, on Twitter, you start looking at them. But, um, 
Yeah, well, it was. I'm, really... I'm at the point now with Twitter where anytime I see someone's name trending, I am assuming that that person died, and it sucks. <laughs> right. Okay, that's that's uh, unfortunate, but yes. Um, and you know, when you mentioned the Matrix, by the way, because I, I started talking about it on Twitter, I was watching it the other day. I've been watching a lot of movies. Um, you know, the the best part about that movie, because someone said, you know, the I kind of lamented the, the the second and third ones. We're just, we're, it was kind of bummer. It's a bummer to watch the first one to, to realize what happened in the other two that weren't, just weren't very good. And then someone said, you know, other than the opening 30 minutes of the first one, it's really just a very ho-hum, normal, you know, action thriller movie. And, um, I, I say, and, and that's kind of true. But, you know, in the context, it changes everything else in a way that, you know, irrevocably in, in a much more powerful way. But I think the point of what they make is that you when you you're not the one until you're a, a either believe that you're the one or you're ready to be the one. And I think that that is really applicable to everything, especially basketball. Oh, yeah, dude, the alpha dog mentality, which is like, you know, like such a huge thing. Um, Russell Westbrook is kind of that that guy right now in the league like i mean he took that from from kobe the the guy who never remembers his last missed shot um every every player i coach i tell them all the time like they'll get frustrated when we're fixing mechanical stuff and they're missing shots you know i'm like look it'll come i don't know how many millions of shots i've missed in my life and i've for sure missed more than i've made and I don't think about any of those misses, but I can I can recall quite a few of the big makes, and that so that is kind of like like what you're getting at, right? Like, well, kind of. Although to me, okay. it's not alpha dog. To me, it's more like just the um, the peace of mind uh, of being in the moment and just being able to perform uh, whatever the, the, your role is on the team. Uh, you know, certainly like the Curry, and I use the Curry example a lot. Maybe on the show too, where you know when you're watching Neo fighting the the um, the agent at the end, and he's not even looking at him. He's just like blocking everything. He's looking at his hand, being like, "This is amazing. I am, I am the one." That expression on your face, you know, that that to me is an ideal. And I know well, that Russell Westbrook's ideal is the opposite, with smoke coming out of your ears and a front and a big scowl. Um, but I don't know something about being, you know, uh, like the Luke Skywalker, uh, having the Force and having that um, that sort of calmness with that energy. That to me seems the ideal, and um, I, you know, if we could, if we could, you know, and I think what what Steph had been doing with his training was to train his mind to get into that mode. Uh, and the question now is, is like, does it? Can you sustain that? Has he been able to find that uh, in more recently? And it doesn't feel like it, right? It doesn't seem when he's out there that he has that um, that 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 energy. Okay, so you mean more like being in the zone rather than the alpha dog. Yeah. No, I, I okay. think it's in the zone. Um, All right. You know. Do you know about flow states? I don't. Is that one okay. that you're floating in a uh, tank? And No, that's, so that's a float tank. But oh. flow states, it's, it's this idea that you, you, you kind of get into this, uh, this mode where things, it, things really flow. Yes. Um, like things are going well. Like Creatively. Steph, right. Steph for last season was – it was like a season-long flow state. The 35-footers – I mean, you know, like when he took that that game winner against OKC, everyone knew it was going in. That's how much of a zone he was in, right? LeBron got that during the the last few games of the finals, right? Like he was hitting every big shot. He, I mean, the the Iguodala block was kind of the pinnacle of that. And so I think you can see it in short stretches. But why Curry was so incredible last year was because he literally did it 
for the 82 games. I mean, it was just – it was insane. I don't think people – we have, we don't have the distance from it to really fully appreciate how amazing that season was last year that he had. It was it was the, arguably the greatest individual offensive season in the history of the NBA. Right. I put it up there with the Jordan 89 season um, where he averaged 36 a game. Just because of the, the degree of difficulty – First of all, Steph Curry is 6-3, and his game – like, Michael Jordan is an attacking guard. He goes to the free throw line a lot. Steph Curry is a shooter um, and ball handler and, and, and playmaker. And, and I just think that the degree of difficulty of what he was doing – I mean, he, he had one of the best finishing uh, rates – in the in the league last year, right? Like mm-hmm. he may have led the league in in field goal percentage at the basket, yeah. Uh, and he's doing it again this year. It, it just that guy last season, he was Neo, right? And by the way, you'd see like foul calls wouldn't bother him, you nope. know, a very very rarely, like nothing really would bother him and shake him out of that zone because you. And then, but every once in a while, it happened even last year, there would be a, a random game, maybe like three or four all year, where you could just see he wasn't quite in the flow of that particular game, but almost almost never. And then, but then. Foul calls would bother him, and you know, and listen, he might have gotten a bad night's sleep. The kids might have kept him up. That that's all part of the game. And by the way, like that reminded me of the Draymond Green thing. So he, he kind of was way on edge. He just had a kid, right? So right. he's probably like sleep deprived and 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 emotionally all over the place with that. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I'm sure Kerr would be like, yeah, that's probably what's going on too. But uh, the point being that um, that that is also the thing when you're in that zone, nothing really bothers you. And having seen how when you're already on edge and then the littlest things can cause you to react way above what the normal reaction should be, and that's in life or in basketball, um, you know, you can see the value of trying to get to equilibrium as much as you can so that those things don't set you off when they shouldn't. I think an interesting thing to look at would be to compare Curry's body language during the season last year, like during one of their big runs to how it was after he slipped on the uh, the Monte Yunus sweat in the playoffs. Because there was a distinct difference between those two players. Now, of course, part of that is is physical because of the injury. I mean, Steph Curry, if, if that had happened during the regular season, he would have missed probably two months. Right. And so when he came back, he definitely wasn't right. Like, And people can argue whatever. It doesn't change the fact that Cleveland still won the title. You know, like it, it is literally just – why wasn't Steph Curry as good? Okay, this is it. Um, but I wonder, and I have this is something I haven't even thought about. But I wonder if I go back and watch the tape, if his body language is different because you know there there's like swagger is important for basketball players. You know you got to have confidence. But putting the ball through the hoop is very difficult, especially you know like shooting threes like twenty three feet. Like it is extremely difficult, and it becomes mundane to us because we watch so many games, and these guys are so great at it. But it's still very difficult. Go pick a geek off the street and ask him to take a jump shot and, and watch how miserable it is. And, and so just because these guys are really great at it, we've been spoiled. Um, and so we kind of take these things for granted. But uh, well, also from, from that distance, by the way, the margin for error is low. You have to really, you know, if you're, a little, if you're extra tired that day. Then you, you're going to miss. You can miss several of those just by the, by a few inches, and that's all it takes. Um, yeah, so that there's no question. And especially, I'd argue it's even more important for that state of mind when you are a player like Curry, who's smaller and not a water bug. You know, yeah. and, you know he 
he needs to have that frame of mind to be able to, you know, compete with the best athletes in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and so much of his development that we've seen is because of his leg strength because of the, the attention to, um, you know, building up his ankles and his knees and, and all of his muscles in his, in his lower body to compensate for the injuries that he had with his ankles. Right. And that's why he has the 35 foot range. And, and his form stays the same. And so it doesn't take much. Like one little I, I tell players all the time, you know, oh, they, they say to me, uh, coach, hey, my, my ankle hurts. I'm like, okay, well, it's time to take it easy. Let's start rehabbing the ankle. Because an ankle injury, you play on an ankle injury, it'll lead to a knee injury, which leads to a hip injury, which leads to a back injury. Yeah. You know, like the the whole chain is connected. And so, you know, it with the knee injury that he suffered, it, you know, it's no surprise that his shot was off and that he, he lacked explosiveness and wasn't getting around Kevin Love. Anyway, was, now we're rehashing last year's playoffs. Anyway, yeah. I think we, <laughs> I think we're good. Well, yeah. listen, uh, you brought your A game today uh, and you made me have to get into the flow uh, so I can, I can hang. Uh, so great stuff. And, you know, it's kind of fascinating because we had a whole bunch of things we want to talk about and we ended up kind of covering some of that stuff, even though it really kind of was the tip of the iceberg with the MVP talk. So terrific, yeah. great stuff. Yeah, this was good. Okay, well, uh, we'll have to hit it up again next week, uh, and it'll be a new year. So we'll talk about right. our new, year, new Year's resolutions, I imagine. Um, so get those ready. That's your yeah. homework. Yeah, absolutely. I think an NBA New Year's resolution podcast sounds like a good idea. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it could almost be novel. Like, I don't think anyone's going to do one of those. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see if we can't sneak ours in there somewhere and get it at the top. But uh, again, thank you for joining us uh, today. The podcast has been really blowing up recently. And so uh, keep it up. Keep giving us some likes and all that stuff. If you're listening to this right now on iTunes or, or Stitcher, just give us some of those thumbs up and comments. And, uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter as well. Follow Dave uh, at Dave Do Four, right? Oh, sorry, Coach it's Coach Dave. Dave. Do Four with D U and the number four. And yeah, well, and shoot us questions on Twitter so we, we have some easy content for the podcast. Yeah, we love it. And we'll, we'll always love to answer them either on Twitter or in the podcast or both. And um, that's it. So don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. Are you in? Are you in, Dave? Of course.